Um, let me open up in prayer and then we'll get into it. Lord, we thank you um, for being here this morning. We thank you for hearing um, through music and through sharing about what you can do with our lives. Um, Lord, we pray for us as a church this year in 2016 that um, Catalyst and Cornerstone will just be powder kegs exploding for you and um, just sort of setting the world around us alight um, with our family, our friends, our neighbors, and our workmates. So Jesus, help us to hear how we are a part of the church this morning and how you want us to be involved in it for this year. We ask that through your name, Jesus. We've had a great um, start to the year. Um, I believe it's only the 17th. It feels like it's September to me. Um, but it's been a great start to the year. We had um, Steve share with us on the 3rd. He preached a message that we need to hear almost every single, every single sermon that we come into. And that's that God's love is so powerful, and he wants to pour that out on us. And when we understand that love, we can actually move in empowerment and strength. And that was a great message. Um, Joel shared with us last week, um, about our identity. And that was, again, a fantastic message as well. Um, he talked about the fact that in God, we are sons and daughters, we are princes and princesses, that we are actually in the family of God, that God calls us to be a part of what he's doing. And that's a really cool thing as well. Um, so don't ever let self-doubt or voices that tell you you're no good get into your heart because God loves you and your identity is in Jesus as a son and daughter or as a prince and princess. This week, um, I'm just going to talk to you about something that I'm passionate about, and it's basically the church, and it builds on those two. We know God's love, we know our identity, then we as the church go out and do something incredible for Jesus. And so I want to talk a bit about that as well. Just to give you a, um, a plagiarism warning, um, this sermon, um, about, some of you would know um, Rick Warren and the Saddleback Church. And quite a few years ago, he wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. And then he wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Church. Um, that was phenomenally instrumental in my approach to ministry as a pastor and as a church planter. He took it to what the Bible says, and he says, let's look at this. And that's what we're going to do today. I just want to give credit where it started from, but we're going to make it apply to us today. So then I can say it's all right, because it's partly mine then as well. Um, but we're going to be talking a bit about that a little bit more this morning as well. I don't know about you guys, but I love December and January. I love um, December, hanging out with friends, hanging out with family, heading into Christmas. I love food. I didn't get it this year, but in the States around Christmas and Thanksgiving, you get a meal which just is so cool. It's called candied yams. And once you take a sweet potato, about half a kilo of maple syrup, and you pour it all over, and then you melt marshmallows on top of it as well. I like the food around December time. But I also like what comes in January as well. And that's carrots and alfalfa sprouts and water and lemon detox. No, there's <laughs> a... I just really like December and January. They just have such a cool thing to do. And as I said, December for me is fun. Um, it's Christmas, it's carols. Um, I collect Christmas movies to show all over the place. It's just, you know, I love it. Um, but I really love January as well. And I love January because it's like I get a clean slate. It's a new year, January 1st. It's all before me. Clean the slate off and say, okay, God, what do we want to do in these areas as well? And I love that. And it's important to reflect, I guess, on what we want to see happening as individuals, but as a church as well. We've got a clean slate for 2016. 
And we need to be anticipating and excited about what God's going to bring to us in those areas as well. I've been blessed by Mark and Cheryl. I've been incredibly blessed by many of you here as well, particularly Matt and Tanya in, in special ways as well, and John and Carrie. Um, people that I'm excited about being around for 2016. It's going to be a really good year as well. Now, I want to read to you from Acts 2. If you've got your Bible or your phone or your device, Acts 2, 42 to 47. This is my favorite passage about the church because it's so new and raw and fresh and incredible when you read it. You got to realize that sort of the backup to this was Jesus has said to the disciples in chapter 1, he said, wait, go and wait in an upstairs room for the Holy Spirit to come in power. And so they went and they waited and they worshiped and they prayed and they built each other up and they just hung out until the Holy Spirit finally um, descended upon them. And then the Spirit comes upon them and they step out, 120 people, step out into Jerusalem at the height of a festival where people all over the known world had come to be in worship in Jerusalem as the city of the Jewish people. And so the Spirit comes, the people step out, and Peter, who only a few short days before had run away from Jesus, he had denied him, he had run away, and he was sitting around feeling sorry for himself. This is a guy who was beaten and defeated. But when the Spirit came, he was empowered. And he stepped out and he preached a sermon that was amazing. The first real sermon as a church, Jesus had obviously preached, but this was the first sermon that as a church had been preached. He gets up and he shares the gospel and the 119 of the other ones are around praying and talking to people. Thousands of people are coming along to hear this type of thing going, what's happening here? He preaches it, he shares a message, and what happens is the people say, what do we need to do now? And he says, repent, believe, and be baptized. And 3,000 people were added to a church which was only a few days old. So that's the background for this passage. So you can see why I get really excited when I come to Acts 42, or Acts 2, 42 to 47. I get so excited my mouth gets dry. Okay, the fellowship of the believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And I love this. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. This year, we're going to be intentional as a church. And it's been exciting for me to spend some time with some of the navigators and spend time with Mark and hearing about what that intentionality is. One of the things that Mark shared with us on email, if you're not connected to the church group, get connected to the church group. Um, he shared with us the concept that this year, we're going to be an army, we're going to be a family, we're going to be a hospital. And we're going to do it in the mess of life. That's such a cool picture. Because life is messy. Life in our own experience sometimes can be messy. With the ones that we love can be messy. So we need 
to have each other there to say, you know what, we're a family. We're a hospital. We're an army in those areas as well. I think that Acts 2, 42 to 47, lays the foundation for catalyst and for cornerstone in what's going to happen this year for us as a church. We don't have to be big in numbers to see some cool things happen. It's not about us. It's about God. Um, during the prayer times this morning, I had a picture, and the picture was um, kind of us here, like in this geographical location. I like this geographical location. I like seeing paddocks when I come into a place. I like seeing, well, I like seeing animals, not so much dead animals on the road, but I do like seeing animals around the place in those areas. So what I'm saying is um, this place is kind of, in my opinion, maybe a little bit rural and a little bit um, cool. But the picture I saw was of a massive firework display going off. And I thought what God was saying was that he's going to light the fireworks of this church, and people are going to see it, and they're going to come. But what are they going to come to? They're going to come to where Jesus is first and where you and I are doing our ministry for his glory as well. When we do those things, it'll be cool. So with this passage, I just want to share with you five things that I think we need to get a grasp on if we're going to experience this power of God's this year. The first thing is this. To grow this year, you need to be committed to dis discipleship. Sorry. To grow this year, you need to be committed to discipleship. It says right in the beginning, what? That the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. All right? An easy way to explain the apostles' teaching today is our New Testament. The apostles' teaching was the New Testament. And so the early disciples committed to listen to what the apostles were teaching. If we're going to be a church that is on fire for God, we need to know the Bible, and we need to put the Word of God into our life. The Word of God has power. And I'm sure this story could be told right across this room. Um, before I was a Christian, um, for some reason, I was in Florida, and I'd left my, my house, my family home, and I was at the University of South Florida, um, and I was majoring in excessive partying. And my classes weren't doing that great, but my partying was going fantastic. Except for the fact that I began to think, is this all there is to it? And it's got to be the Holy Spirit. I picked up a Bible, and I went to the book of Revelation. And I don't suggest, if you've never written the Bible, to go to the book of Revelation. But I picked up the Bible, and I began nightly to read this book of Revelation. I didn't become a Christian just because of the word that was there for me. I was, I guess, impacted by someone who used the gift of evangelism to, to bless me into the kingdom. But the word of God has power. And as I opened it up and read it, it was incredible that the power was coming through. This was not a book of facts and figures. Even as a non-Christian, I could see that. This was a book of power, of purpose of planning, of hope, of wonder, of love. It was just absolutely amazing. And I'm sure many of you have had similar experiences and heard from others as well. The Word of God is powerful. And as Christians, we need to commit this year to read it. Now, I don't know about you guys. You, some of you would probably find this easy. I've been a Christian for 30 years. I've struggled to read the Bible that whole time. Not that I haven't done it, but that things get in the way of it. And, and I find that I can go, ah, oh, well, not tonight. And then all of a sudden it's a week later or 
or I, I get to the study group and I go, I didn't do any of the reading that we were supposed to do, but I need to have a contribution. Yeah. The Word of God needs to be put into us. It says that it is the sword. That is a picture that's absolutely cool to me because it cleaves, it divides, it gets rid of all the rubbish, and it says, here, what are you going to do about that? So as disciples, we need to have that commitment to the Word of God. This year is going to be quite interesting for us, I think, in terms of discipleship. Last year, it still sounds funny saying that, last year, Sue and I were in a discipleship course that Matt and Tanya ran, and it was excellent. It was called Side by Side, and it looked at what discipleship is. And I guess three things that we looked at in those areas is, one, we need to learn, but we don't just stop there. We need to apply. So it's not about filling your head full of knowledge and talking about stuff to impress people. It's actually to come from the head into the heart and into the whole being in those areas as well. So they ran this course that was um, discipleship-wise, which was learn, but it was also then apply, and then it was to reflect. So if we are to learn about stuff, we need to apply stuff. If the Word of God comes into me and says, Rob, do this, then I need to apply it. I need to actually do that as well. But it's important as well in our discipleship to reflect. And that's part of the reason I like about January is because you sit down and you go, clean slate, reflect what's going on. And if we're going to be a church that grows to the potential that God wants us to be, we need to be a church um, who's committed to discipleship, who's committed to sitting down and saying what's going on. Um, there's going to be some good things coming up. I think starting, I think it was February 14th, was it? Yeah, I think it was 14th. We're looking at um, a four-week series on a Sunday night at Liberty Center dealing with Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, which is another passage you've got to get if you can understand church type of thing as well. So we're going to have um, a look at apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, and pastor teacher in those areas as well. Um, there's going to be, John's looking into some stuff um, that, that helps to equip us. I mean, it's no good if I say to you, all right, team, you're ready to go. Now go out there and get them. And you walk out the door and you go, well, what does that mean? Um, who do I go get? Where do I go get? How do I go get? And those areas. Um, we need to know where we're going. And these discipleship courses will do that. And, and as I said, one of the things that's going to be very exciting, um, and again, going back to Rick Warren, um, their church came up with a, a, an acronym that was SHAPE. So your spiritual gifts, your hearts, your ability, your personality, your experiences. If you understand those, you understand who God has made you as well. Um, and that's the situation as well. So, cool. We need to put the Word of God into practice. Um, Pharisees get a bad rap. I reckon Pharisees just cop so much. Um, and the reason I sometimes say it with a little bit of sympathy toward them is because, to be quite honest, at different points in my life, I've been a Pharisee. I have taken the Word of God in knowledge, but used it in a contrary way than what Jesus wants to. So I might use it to put someone down, or I might use it to hurt someone, or I might use it for whatever that isn't God-glorifying. That's not what God wants us to do. We're not Pharisees. We are loved by God, but Steve shared with us, and we have our identity, as Joel shared with us, in Jesus as well. Um, so yeah, put it in, apply it, and then reflect on how it's going as well. The second thing I want to share with you is this. To grow this year, we need to commit to outreach. Um, 
I know we're still kind of newish around it, and you're probably trying to understand this as well, who we are and those type of things as well. But I need to share this. Um, I get the privilege of sharing evangelism at these seminars that we're going to run at the Liberty Center because in my heart of heart and in the way I function, I'm full on for Jesus in terms of evangelism. I, I will say to the church every single time, because it's what God has installed in my heart as a passion, is let's get up and let's go in those areas as well. So we need to be committed to evangelism. Let me make a very strong statement here. If you don't witness, and we'll come to that word a little bit later, if you don't witness to family, friends, neighbors, or workmates who are lost, then you don't understand the heart of God. That's a powerful statement to make, and I'm going to back it up, hopefully. But if you don't go, then you don't understand the heart of God. When you open particularly your New Testament, but also right throughout the Old Testament, what's going on there? In the Old Testament, he calls the people to say, you are now my people, now go into the promised land. And through you, the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 was that I will bless your descendants more than the stars, more than the sand, that if you follow in these areas, this is what God will do. So we need to understand that if we push evangelism aside and say, well, it's not really my responsibility, then you don't understand the heart of God. The heart of God beats for the lost, and the church's heart should beat for the lost as well. Jesus went to the lost, didn't he? He came as a baby with nothing spectacular to be amongst people to call them into God's relationship. And if you go through the New Testament, you see things like in Luke 15, the lost coin. What happens? They find the coin, they throw a party. There's the lost sheep. What happens? There's 99 in the pen. Jesus leaves the pen to go get the one. And what happens? They throw a party. The lost son. What happens? The son spits in the face of the father, rejects absolutely everything that's on offer, and goes and just lives insanely debaucherous until he's so low that he says, I will go back and I will just see if I could do some chores and that would be good. But what happens? The father sees him, jumps down, grabs him, and says, what? Let's go have a party. Let's go have a party. Matthew 28, for me at least, Matthew 28, 18, um, and following in terms of the Great Commission, is really powerful for one single word that I like. Go. 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 What is he to say to the disciples? Go. Go. Even in Acts chapter 1, when he says to him, wait, and then in chapter 2, when it comes about, he gives them a powerful, powerful message to go. And the message is this. The Spirit will come on you in power, and then you will be my witnesses into Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. And that's what they did. Now, the good thing about the early church is they stuffed things up as well. If we look at the early church, we don't have to beat ourselves up so bad because they were making mistakes left, right, and center. The mistake that they made was 3,000 people responded in Jerusalem. My goodness, 3,000 people become an early church. We've arrived. Why go do anything else? Let's bring these 3,000 in. And so they settled in Jerusalem where they were comfortable. 
But the Spirit allowed persecution and trials to come on to push them out to Judea. Okay? So Jerusalem's a little place here. Judea is a little bit larger. So they push out to Judea. Same thing happens. People respond. People are coming into the church. It's happening. It's moving. It's fantastic. And they go, you know what? Let's take a rest. Then the Holy Spirit allows persecution, persecutions and trials to come upon them again to move them out to Samaria. And so this is a further out type of thing. Then he moves them on to the ends of the earth. Each stage they rested on their laurels and they've said, we've done enough. Until every single person in the world has had an opportunity to respond to Jesus, we haven't done enough. We need to push out. We need to push into those areas as well. Now, I kind of think this, and it, it might not be backed by good thinking or exegesis, but I kind of think of this. For me, Jerusalem is my family and my close friends. They're the ones that are here, right? So these are the ones that are in close, in tight. That's my Jerusalem. So I need to minister in Jerusalem because it's important for my family and friends who are in here tight to experience and hear about the love of God. Judea, for me, is kind of my neighbors and my workmates. You know, I see them fairly regularly. I see them after they get home from work during the week, or I see them on the weekend. Um, so I say hi to them in those areas as well. Um, workmates, you know, you're there with them as well. That's your next step. So Jerusalem to Judea. Samaria, I think, is this. It's kind of, I describe it this way. It's the cafe, okay? It's something that's a little bit further out. How many of you go to a similar cafe on a regular basis, and have you ever had a deep and meaningful conversation with the person behind the counter? Or if you fill up with petrol at the same service station week in and week out, have you even found out the person's name and sort of get to know them a little bit better? We're called to be Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the ends of the earth quite simply are, in my opinion, the whole of Australia, and the rest of the world. Um, we live in a world where we're supposed to make a difference in those areas. So that's what I'm talking about in terms of talking about outreach as well. Just a quick thing on that. Um, for some strange reason, it might not happen to you, but for some strange reason for me, when I'm actually actively sharing my faith with someone, I grow. I grow. When I say evangelism, I'm not saying it's easy. Sometimes, you know, the fear I had as an early Christian was um, most of the friends that I was talking to went, yeah, right, look at your lifestyle, what you were doing. We want to hear about God in those areas. Um, it, it was just, it was, it was scary that they might go, well, we know who you really are. Or they might ask me a question that I didn't know. What's infralapsarian supernism theology. I don't know. I still don't know what it is. I couldn't even sell it. If you know it, you know that I messed it up in the Word. But what I'm saying is, what if I don't have the answers? What if I don't have the answers and they decide not to become a Christian? Is that my fault? No. You're not called to have the answers. You're called to share the love of God. And one of the easiest things that you can do is to say, but I will find out that answer. And we can talk about it. Don't stop sharing because the Holy Spirit promises that he will give us the words to say. 
Jesus said that when we are in a courtroom situation where people are hammering down on us, then he would give us the words to say. The Holy Spirit would. So we need to accept the Holy Spirit's guidance in that situation as well. And the only way to do that, I think, is through humility. You see, as an evangelist or someone who's passionate about grace, Peter says, do it with gentle respect. Do it with gentle respect. We're not called to bulldoze people or to bash them down. We're called to share the gospel with gentle respect. I like that. The third thing I want to share with you, kind of powering through if you guys don't mind. <laughs> um, to grow together, you need to commit to fellowship. Now, this is a fun one. Let me burst a couple bubbles that might be floating around. Jesus was a severely fun guy. He was amazing in terms of his social life. His first miracle in John chapter 3 is what? They're at a party. They run out of wine. He makes the wine out of water, and people go, oh my goodness, this is like a French bougelet. It's just like, this is the best wine I've ever had. That was his first miracle. For Baptists, that's hard to explain sometimes kind of mm, wine. I was just really cordial and great. No, it wasn't. It was mind-blowingly good wine. He made that. You look in things like Matthew Levi in Luke chapter 5. Matthew Levi is a tax collector. These guys are not well-liked in those days, okay? This guy, amongst a bunch of people, was a scoundrel in these type of things as well. He decides to follow Jesus, and what happens in that situation is he says, you know what? I'm going to throw a party. And he invites all of his mates to come to this dinner, and Jesus starts talking to them. Jesus was liked by kids. He was loved by kids. The disciples were saying, push them away. They're not important. What did he say? He said, you need to accept the kingdom of God like one of these little children. If kids liked him, he was a fun guy. Because kids don't like unfun people. They like fun people. And Jesus was a fun guy. And I think in church sometimes we get too serious. Um, we, we, <laughs> we have a huge mission, yes? Um, go make disciples, baptize them, teach them everything. And those we got a huge, huge type of thing um, in terms of living as Christians. But it should be fun a lot of the time. And sometimes in churches, I think we've forgotten actually how to have fun. This little line is thrown out by Luke when he records Acts 2, 42 to 47. He says that they met with glad and sincere hearts. They met with glad and sincere hearts. If you were having a horrible, terrible time, in what you're doing, it's hard to go meet with people with a glad and sincere heart. They were glad because of what Jesus had done. And they were sincere because not only did they love God, but they loved each other as well. We need to commit to fellowship. Now, we all go through difficult times, and I look at my own life as a Christian, and there have been times which were really dark, um, were really painful, um, were depressive in those areas. But I found early on the power 
of God being happy and joyous, helpful for me. And when I reflect on what Jesus has actually done for me, that brings joy into my life. Someone said in the prayer today, I think it might have been Matt, I wasn't sure, but there was um, this concept of joy. And Mel said it when she shared a passage as well. There was this joy thing in it as well. Um, life should be joyous, shouldn't it? You know, it should be joyous. And we need to be a church which is filled with joy because a lot of people out there in the world don't have joy. And they might try to chase joy in wrong ways. We say, no. Nah. Jesus, he turned water into wine. He hung out in parties. He had a great time with people. He loved kids. He loved people that were, you know, sometimes some of those stories where someone comes up, the lady who has, um, has had the bleeding for so long in her life, she comes around and touches, you know, just the hem of his cloak. Bang, she's healed instantaneously, and she starts to move away. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, someone touched me, and power went out. I want to know who it is. First time I read that, I was a bit scared. What was Jesus going to say? What was he going to say? You know, you should have come to the front. You should have gotten the line. You should have asked the disciples. But you come around, and you touch the hem of my robe. What's that all about? He didn't say that, though. He looked her in the eye and said, your faith has healed in this situation. Jesus looked with joy into their lives. Okay, the fourth point, and we're getting there. To grow this year, you need to commit to ministry. Um, confession time. I love things like Sherlock Holmes. I love the books, read all the stories, absolutely love them. Um, this weekend, I've been watching um, the BBC with, um, um, oh, I just went to Cumberbatch and the other guy. <laughs> so we'll call him Sherlock and Holmes. <laughs> and so I've been watching that. Um, one of the gifts I got over Christmas was um, Elementary, which is a modern setting of Sherlock and Holmes in, in England and those areas as well. Um, I, I, I dig that kind of forensic type of stuff, you know, CSI. Parts one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, seven, nine. How many jokes? I kind of dig that type of stuff as well. The thing that blows me away is that out of billions of people in this world, not a single one of us is like someone else. We have unique prints. We have unique retinas. We have unique all type of stuff, DNA. God did that on purpose. Wouldn't it be horrible if the whole church was just like Rob? And we were all, and it was just Rob over and over cloned. It'd be terrible. I'm a nice guy, but that's not what you would want. You know, God comes in and he gets in this creativity and this diversiveness and this, this amazing individualistic pouring into you. You are so unique. You are so incredible. And God made you that way. He made you that way. But he made you for a purpose. No one can do what you do. Listen to that again. No one can do what you do. So if we have, I don't know, say we've got 100 people as part of the church, there's 100 different ministries right there. Each and everything 
that you need to understand about yourself is God, someone said earlier, God does not make mistakes. You are not a mistake. You are not an afterthought. You are not inferior. God has made you unique. And he wants you to share in ministry. Ministry happens in two ways, with each other and with people out there. Remember what James, you know, raises? I love James. I mean, he's so in your face. It's fantastic. You know, he sits down and he says this, I don't really care what your words are. I want to see your deeds. And then I'll know what type of faith you actually have. We need to be involved in ministry. And this year it's going to happen for many of us because we're going to train you up in how to be in ministry as well, which is cool. Mm. And then finally, kickoff is in 10 minutes for the Packers and the Cardinals, and you don't care whatsoever, but it's the gridiron, it's the finals, and I'm going to go home. And even though the game goes for 37 hours straight, I can miss the first hour or so, so it's all right. But it kicks off soon. But I don't want to rush through this last one, because I think this last one is um, essential. It's about worship. To commit as a follower of Jesus to grow this year, you need to worship. And all due respect to the band and all of the musicians who minister for us week in and week out, you guys are fantastic, and those are powerful times. But that is not what worship is only about. Worship is about your heart. If I gave you 15 minutes and a notebook and a pencil, or a pen if you prefer, and I sent you out to this school's four corners to sit down with yourself for 15 minutes and to sit down and say to yourself for 15 minutes, what am I going to think about? What jumps into my head? What takes my time? What takes my focus? What would I sit down and say, this is the power point for this aspect? If it's not God, you're worshiping false idols. If it's not Jesus, we're kidding ourselves. We know this passage, a lot of us do. Romans 1.25. It's kind of the passage, this verse and a few other verses that people use um, to sort of attack homosexuals. And so often when we come to that passage, we go, oh, yeah, we know what it says. But I don't think we do sometimes. I don't think we go as in-depth as actually what this says. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. I know a guy. I do know someone. And he's actually an acquaintance friend. Not a deep friend, but he is an acquaintance and we have started friends in those days. He's um, six foot five. He's um, been rated or ranked um, in the top ten um, boogie boarders around the world. He competes or has competed in his earlier days all across. Powerful guy. Big, big personality. Comes up and he hits you in the chest so hard. Rob, what's on your heart? And I'm going, ow, 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 right now, I don't know what it is except bruises. <laughs> but, but he's got this way of saying that type of thing. And, and it's stuck with me as a thinking concept. What is in my heart? What is in my heart? What am I worshiping in Romans 1 to 25? 
and they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's hard. But I want to walk, ideally, on a daily basis with Jesus in my heart. So that you can come up to me and say, Rob, what's in your heart if you see me at the shops? Or you can come up to me at church and say, what's in your heart? Or you can come up to me in an activate group and you can say, what's in your heart? Maybe we should use that question this year for all of us. What's in your heart? What are you worshiping? What has all your priority? What has all your focus? Is it God or does it need to be changed? The early disciples knew about worship. They got together in that room and they worshiped and they praised and they prayed and they did amazing stuff together and they turned the world upside down. The last thing I want to say for us this year is what's in your heart? What are you worshiping? What's in your heart? If we have Jesus in our heart, then those other four things that I talked about are going to come easy. If I don't have Jesus in my heart, then what's going to happen is I will be a legalistic Pharisee. I will be saying, here's the rules and the regulations and what's allowed and what's not allowed. What's in your heart? Let me close in prayer. Lord, help us to put you first. Jesus, you gave all that we might have all. We pray this year for Cornerstone and for Catalyst that we will be a kingdom church that will make a huge difference but Lord, let that difference start first and foremost with us right here. We can't change until we've been changed. We can't love until we've been loved. We can't serve until we've been served. Jesus, that powerful last scene with the 12, when you got down on your hands and knees, and you took a cloth, and you washed their feet. Help us to be servant people. We ask this through your name, Jesus. Amen.